for today is found in John chapter 21. You should have it there in your bulletin. John 21, verses 1 through 12. Oh, I'm sorry. We're going, we're going all the way to uh, 19. <laughs> John 21, verses 1 through 19. These are the words of the living God. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us together once again. I thank you for another opportunity to preach your word. Help me to get out of the way, Lord, and to proclaim your truth. Let all these things be done in your sight and not the sight of men. Let the people be attentive. Remove any distractions that there may be in our midst and help us to stay focused that you would 
speak to our hearts, that we would know Your will and what You are saying to us. Come, Lord, in our meeting by Your Spirit and do this work. For if You do not, it will not take place. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Has anybody ever gotten lost when you knew where you were going? Anybody ever had this experience? You thought you knew where you were going, and then you, you got lost whenever you got there. It's an awkward experience, really. You know, somebody invites you to come to their house or to meet you in a particular place, and you think you know where you're going until you get there, and you realize that you have no idea where you are going at all. And it's that awkward moment when you're waiting for further direction or further instruction. You're waiting for that person to pick up the phone and tell you where to go or to call you back or for your internet to pick up uh, where you're just uh, kind of feeling a a little bit unsettled about the whole thing. Um, Has anybody ever had this awkward experience before? Um, Or maybe somebody asked you to play a game, but then they didn't tell you how you were supposed to go about playing it. And so when everybody else starts playing, you're kind of standing there left awkward wondering what you're supposed to do, right? It's that type of thing that we're talking about. I think that the disciples had a similar experience uh, in their um, uh, ministry. The disciples have followed Jesus on this mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God, but when the king gets torn away from them and crucified, nailed to a cross, uh, things are a bit uncertain. Uh, he miraculously appears to them after that when he, when he uh, is raised from the dead, and on several occasions, uh, but the question kind of becomes, what is next? Now what? What are we going to do? And you and I, friends, are in that same situation. Uh, We all live on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and sometimes we lose sight of where we're going and what we're supposed to be doing. What are we supposed to be doing since Jesus has been resurrected? Well, in our text today, we're going to answer that question in three different ways. Okay, so three points today. The first is, since Jesus has been resurrected, He still directs us. And therefore, our aim and our goal must never be the same. Our aim and our goal in life must never be the same. Number two, since Jesus has been resurrected, He still serves us, and therefore, we must still come to Him for help and provision as we serve. So he still serves us, so we must still go to him for help and provision as we serve. And number three, since Jesus has been resurrected, he still considers us to be his disciples, and therefore we must be about the work of making disciples. So we see that first point, since Jesus has been resurrected, he still directs us, and therefore our aim and our goal must never be the same in verses 1 through 8. So let's read that again, starting in verses 1 and 2. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. All right, so since our last meeting... Christ has been crucified, and there on the cross he died, and after he uh, died he was buried, and then he rose again gloriously on the third day, defeating sin and death, just as he said he would. 
And since then, he has been going around and appearing to the disciples and proving to them that he is exactly who he said he was. And on one of those occasions, he tells the disciples to go up to Galilee. And that is why they are now in the region of Galilee. Uh, The disciples have gone into the north. It says that they're on the Sea of Tiberias, which is actually the Sea of Galilee. And this is where Jesus appears to them again. Now, this section of John's Gospel is sort of an epilogue, as it were. Uh, Those who know the Gospels know that there is sort of a question that is left hanging in the air at the end of the Gospels, and that has to do that question has to do with what is the status of Peter. Those who know their Bibles will know the story of Peter and his denial. Peter in the Gospels is very bold and very audacious. He is often running out ahead of the other disciples. He is getting in the mix before them. He's speaking up on their, uh, on their behalf. He's speaking up first. And because Peter is very impulsive, like this, he often says and does things that he ought not to do. <laughs> uh, John MacArthur refers to him as the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. <laughs> you can imagine why he calls him that. He's always putting his foot in his mouth, right? <clears throat> he is the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. So one of those instances uh, where Peter sort of puts his foot into his mouth is a time not, before, not long before the text that we are looking at today, prior to the crucifixion of Jesus, where Jesus says, all of you are going to abandon me. He tells all the disciples that they are going to leave him. And Peter says, even though they all forsake you, I never will. I never will. And those of you who know the story know that Peter does forsake Jesus and he denies Jesus. And how many times does he deny Jesus? Three times, right? Well, that situation has never been reconciled. Peter denies Jesus, Jesus is crucified, and now he has been raised from the dead. And here in our text today, we see the first in-depth conversation that we know of between uh, Peter and Jesus since his denial. And really what we see here is an affirmation of Jesus' love for all of his disciples. You remember, they all abandoned him. They did. They all left him. But here Jesus shows us that he is not abandoning them, nor is he abandoning his purpose to use them to fulfill his work in the world. And I think it's interesting that Jesus appears to them here on the Sea of Galilee to sort of reaffirm them in their faith and in their mission. Why is the Sea of Galilee significant? Well, some of you may remember that Peter, James, and John are first called into the ministry on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of what? fishers of men, and they drop their nets and they follow him from that point on. And it is also interesting to note that on that occasion, Jesus miraculously provided for them a huge catch of fish. It was one of the things that convinced them to follow uh, Jesus. But a lot has happened since then. Uh, They have gone around with Jesus doing ministry, and Jesus has become, or Jesus became a very controversial figure. Uh, among the political and religious leaders of the day. As a matter of fact, they murdered him for it. (laughs) And we looked at that last week. So if you're the disciples, right, and you're supposed to follow Jesus, you, you might be a little bit apprehensive about that. They saw what happened to Jesus when he went around preaching. So 
what might happen to them if they go around preaching in his name, right? In verse 3, Peter says he is going fishing, and the others agree to go with him. Let's look at that. Uh, We'll read down to verse 8. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Now, are we to think here that Peter and the others are abandoning the ministry that Christ has committed to them because they are going fishing? No, I, I do not think so. You will remember Jesus tells the disciples to go to Galilee and wait for him. So they go there, and while they are waiting, they do some fishing. They know what some of them know how to do best, and that is fish. Uh, They need to eat, and so they work with their hands to provide for their needs. But I do think that they are not yet fully settled in their minds about what the resurrection means for their life and their ministry. It is as one commentator said, this is not something that you would see the apostles doing after the day of Pentecost when they've received further direction and have been empowered by the Holy Spirit from on high. You don't see the apostles in the book of Acts going fishing, (laughs) right? It's not something you see them doing after these events. Um, So I do think that there is a bit of a disconnect here in their thinking. And so Jesus uses this opportunity Uh, to teach them an object lesson. Yes, the disciples know how to fish, but because Jesus has been resurrected, their occupation has been transformed and made much more glorious. Okay, Because Jesus has been resurrected, their occupation has been transformed and made much more glorious. The text says they caught nothing, but then when Jesus showed up, they caught nothing. Uh, a, a load of fish so big that they were not able to haul it in. Now, do you think it was an accident or do you think it is just a coincidence that they were not, that they caught fi- no fish all night? I mean, some of these guys are professional fishermen. They're trained fishermen. And the best time for them to have been fishing, according to historical resources, was at night. So you would think that they would catch some fish, right? Um, but they catch nothing. And then this mystery man shows up on the shore and he says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And they listen to him, which is also kind of weird. <laughs> but you, you've got you to gotta remember that these guys are at their wit's end. They've been toiling all night to no avail. And so this stranger shows up and he says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And they do it. And the blessing of God is poured out on them so abundantly and they recognize it. John does, at least. He says, it is the Lord. All right? And as soon as Peter finds out that it's his Jesus standing on the shores, he jumps in the water and he starts swimming. See, uh, Peter will not wait. He must get to Christ immediately. This is the moment that he has been waiting for. He 
He wants to be together with Christ again, serving Him in His will, doing the things that He has called Him to do. And so, He does not wait. The other disciples follow right behind Him again. They were all waiting for a direction from Jesus, and they are about to get further direction. Here, Jesus is going to make them, at this moment, into... uh, full-time fishermen, right? They're fishermen, but he's going to make them full-time fishermen. That is full-time fishers of men, okay? And friends, let me tell you, for every one of us, it is the same. Since Jesus has been resurrected, our life and our work can never be the same. Nothing that we do anymore is ordinary or mundane. Uh, It may seem ordinary or it may seem mundane, but it is in those seemingly ordinary things that God is now at work to do extraordinary things. Let me explain. What do you do with your life? What do you do for work? It is in those ordinary things that Christ is at work to do extraordinary things. But we need some direction. We need some further clarification like the disciples did here. And for them, they were given an entirely new occupation. And for some of us, that may be the case. If you are doing something that is objectionable in the sight of God when He saves you or since He has saved you, uh, you are going to have to start doing something different. But for most of us, God is going to work right where we are at to further His will in our lives, or He's going to take the things that we know from our past and use them in the future to what He is calling us to, just as He did the disciples here. For instance, if you are a mother raising children, just doing this thing day in and day out, the ordinary work of changing diapers and washing dishes and redirecting your children and praying over them before they go to sleep, it is in those ordinary things that God is at work to do extraordinary things. That is kingdom work or in your workplace, or your particular life situation, whatever it is, if you are a Christian, God has called you to be on mission. If you are a Christian, God has called you to be on mission. You see, it's all about direction, knowing that you are supposed to be a disciple-maker of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether it's at home, at work, or in the world, you're to be pointing people to Jesus. That is what you're to do. You are to be taking people by the hand and leading them to Jesus. Your goal, your aim in life and in your work is to take everything that He is given you and give it back to Him. You are to redirect everything that you are and everything that you have towards Him, towards His glory. And God will show up when you do that and work in the realm of the extraordinary through those ordinary, seeming ordinary things to do awesome and extraordinary things. Um, So whether it's cooking somebody up uh, a Thanksgiving dinner and bringing it over to their house for them next Thursday, or being kind or offering words of encouragement, um, of sitting and listening to somebody when they are dealing with their stuff and helping them walk through whatever it is, Whatever you're doing, do it for Him and do it for Christ 
And God will show up in those ordinary things and do extraordinary things behind the scenes. So we have seen that since Jesus has been resurrected, He still directs us. And therefore, our aim and our goal, we could say, in life must never be the same. We see that second point, since Jesus has been resurrected, He still serves us, and therefore we must still come to Him for help and provision as we serve in verses 9-14. through Let's read that again. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon, uh, so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not yet, the net was, uh, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Three things I want to draw your attention to in this section. First, when they get out of the water and onto the land, they find a charcoal fire burning with fish and bread on it. Now, those of you who have been in our study on Sunday mornings know that there is another charcoal fire mentioned in the Gospels. There's two charcoal fires mentioned in the Gospel of John. And the other one is where? It is in the courtyard of the high priest, where, Jesus, uh, where Peter goes and warms himself with those who had later mocked Jesus, beat him, and crucify him. That was, friends, the beginning of Peter's denial. He follows Jesus at a distance, and while... Well, uh, Jesus goes up for his arraignment. Uh, Peter sits in the courtyard by the fire with those who would later crucify Jesus. And now Jesus is regathering Peter and the rest of the disciples, but this time it is around another fire. There's another charcoal fire, and it is a fire that is lit by Jesus. You see what Jesus is doing here is he's beginning to regather and reaffirm his disciples in the love that He has for them and the work that He has called them to do. And it starts here at the fire. And He reaffirms that uh, love and uh, that work that He's called them to do in two ways, by providing for them and by serving them. By providing for them and by serving them. So first, He provides for them. Jesus says, bring some of the fish that you have caught. And he does not want them to bring some of the fish to put on the fire. He already has fish for that. But he wants them to bring some of the fish that they have caught so that they can look uh, look at it and meditate on how God has so abundantly provided for them. Right? Uh, It says that they had a net full of large fish, 153 of them. Question, how did they know there was 153 fish? They counted them, right? So with the recognition that Jesus had provided for them in this way, they know that He is still with them, that He has provided for them, that He continues to provide. He continues to make them fruitful. Okay, So first, He continues to provide for them Right after the resurrection. Second, He serves them. He made them breakfast. Did you pick up on that? Jesus made them breakfast. It says He took the bread and he gave it to them, and so with the fish. 
took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this is miraculous language, same language that's used back in John chapter 6 when he feeds the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and uh, two fish. And here he feeds seven disciples, according to this text, with just a single loaf of bread and a single fish. So uh, Jesus performs a miracle here and causes the bread and fish to multiply once again to show them that he's going to continue to serve them along the way. So Jesus is, in effect, saying to the disciples, uh, here's the payoff, even though you have abandoned me, I still love you. And I have not backed off in the least bit uh, um, uh, calling you to do what I uh, initially wanted you to do. Uh, I am still going to continue to provide for you abundantly, and I am still going to be with you to serve you so that you have everything that you need along the way right when you need it. And again, it is the same for every one of us. How many times have we abandoned him? How many times have we denied him? Uh, Friends, we are just like uh, Peter and the rest of the disciples. When the going gets tough, we are quick to jump ship, right? Peter went and gathered himself around uh, the fire with those who were going to crucify Jesus, those who were hostile to Jesus, and he ends up denying him. And it is getting harder and harder in the day in which we are living to find ourselves in a group of people who are not hostile to Jesus. Uh, it used to be in America where pretty much everybody was Christian, or they're they at least culturally Christian, and they accepted biblical norms and biblical morality, but now forget about it. If you want to bring Christ into the conversation, you are effectively a blasphemer, right? Um, if you want to bring Christ into the conversation, uh, plan on being crucified, as it were. Uh, um, so, when we draw back, because it's going to happen, especially around Thanksgiving, right? We're going to get around family members and groups of people that we're not normally with, and there may be people there who are hostile to Christ or who are opposed to Christ. And when we draw back, when, when we shrink away and refuse to speak up for Christ and for His truth, we are effectively denying Him. Right? Or when we don't take our money and use it in the way that He has told us to. We're denying Him. Or uh, when we don't use our time in the way that He has told us to. We are denying Him. Or when we take His Word and, and reject it and put in its place our own vain philosophies. It's like uh, Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way, right? And we want it our way and not His way. And every time we want it our way and not His way, we effectively deny Christ. And friends, we need to stop trying to do it our way and run to Christ as the disciples did here. When we do, we will find that He is waiting for us with breakfast ready. He will never leave us or forsake us, and He has abundant provision to provide for us. He continues to serve us today, friends, but we must come. We must come and we must gather together for fellowship. Um, The disciples here, they were together, and they gathered together on the beach, and they are fellowshipping with Jesus Christ, with one another. 
Um, that is why it is so important for us to be here every Sunday morning in worship. This is where we gather together in fellowship with one another and with the Lord. This is where He comes and He renews our minds and our thinking so that we think rightly about ourselves and the, wor- the world around us. And He comes to us here, friends, and He serves us every Sunday morning. When we sing the songs together, He is serving us. When we pray together, He comes and He serves us. When we confess the faith together, He is serving us. Whenever we listen to the Word of God together like we are right now, He is serving us. And then throughout the rest of the week, when you go out those doors and you sit down with your Bible and you read His Word, He comes to you and He serves you. Uh, or, Or when you pray, He comes and serves you. Or when you meet together with other believers. And this is why it is so important for us to be gathering together on a regular basis with other believers. Here on Sunday morning and then throughout the rest of the week. But we mainly, we need to be running to Christ, as the disciples did here. Going to Him, because He is the one who continues to provide for us and continues to serve us. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that because we don't see Jesus, right? He's gone, He's resurrected, He's went back to heaven. We don't see Him in front of us, so we got to live by faith. But we must know that He is alive today and He is still serving us from heaven at the right hand of the Father. He still continues to serve us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's sovereign over all. So, since Jesus has been resurrected, He still serves us, and therefore we must still come to Him for help and provision as we serve. You can get it no other place. Finally, we see that third point. Since Jesus has been resurrected, He still considers us to be His disciples, and therefore we must be about the work of making disciples. We see that in verses 15-19. through Verse 15, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Okay, so what is going on here? Why does he ask Peter to affirm his love for him three times? and then each time tell him to feed his lambs or some variation. Well, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times, right? Remember, Peter told Jesus, even though everyone else abandons you, I never will. And then he goes and he denies him three times. And where did his denials take place? Around a charcoal fire. And here he finds himself sitting around another charcoal fire, and this time with Jesus And this time, Jesus is going to give him an opportunity to reaffirm his love for him. He says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Um, I think the these that he's referring to here is the other disciples. Uh, Peter had, in effect, said that he loved him more than they did. He would never abandon him, right? And Jesus wants to know if that is still true. And so each time Peter reaffirms or affirms his love for Jesus, 
Jesus reaffirms him in the initial work that he had called him to do. He says, feed my lambs, right? That is, take care of my church. Before Peter, in another instance, said that he would be willing to lay down his life for Jesus. Some of you may remember that. He's willing to lay down his life for Jesus. And so here Jesus gives him an opportunity to do that. He says, he calls him to be a pastor. He calls him to be a pastor. Um, and he tells him where that will lead. That bit there at the end about later on in life being led where he doesn't want to go by others and having his hands stretch out refers to the martyr's death that Peter would eventually die. Jesus had said throughout his ministry that anybody who wants to follow after me must take up his cross and carry it. And according to church history, Peter did just that. According to church history, Peter was forced to watch his wife crucified. And when they, when they led his wife away to be crucified, he said to her, remember the Lord. And then afterwards, when it was his turn to be crucified, he told his persecutors to crucify him head down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner of his Lord. And so they crucified Peter upside down. Peter was a faithful disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a faithful shepherd in the church of God until his death. And friends, we have been called to follow in his way. Every one of us, if we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must follow him until the death, no matter what. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about that. And we must be about the business of making disciples. Now that making disciples may look differently depending on who you are, but nevertheless, <coughs> excuse me, if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to love the things that he loves, and he loves his church. He's interested in the care and the well-being of his people, and so should we be. Friends, we are to invest in one another spiritually in the church. We are to hold each other accountable. We are to watch out for one another and serve one another, just as Jesus did. Um, we are to encourage one another. We are to build one another up. We are to serve the church of God. And we are all brothers and sisters, whether we are part of a natural family together or not. We've all been joined to a supernatural family, the family of God. And in that family, we are to watch out for one another and serve one another. Now, in God's church, he has raised up certain men to do this work of, um, of watching over and serving. God has ordained elders to the work of oversight in the church, of watching over the church, and he has ordained uh, deacons to the work of service. And deacons are those people in the church who have been commissioned specifically to serve the needs of the local body and of those and to serve the needs of those we minister to. And today we have the privilege of ordaining another man uh, to that ministry. Uh, deacons, according to the Scripture, are supposed to be men who are full of faith and uh, full of the Spirit. They are to be trustworthy men. They are to be respectable men to whom we can commit this work of serving the needs of the body and those to whom we minister. They are to be sympathetic, and they are to have a heart for this particular ministry. Uh, 
First Timothy chapter three, verses eight through 13. I'm going to, I'm going to just read it for you. You can listen, uh, tells us what they're supposed to be like. It says deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongue. They can't speak out of both sides of their mouth. Uh, not addicted to much wine. They have to have self-control. Um, they cannot be given to excess. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Not always trying to get over on somebody else. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, they must believe what we believe as a church and hold to those things with a clear conscience. Um, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. I think our brother Chuck German has been tested. He's been a member of this church for 80 years. So uh, I think that's sufficient. Uh, Right, Chuck? Baptized at four. So uh, going on 80 80 years uh, in the church. Now we are... Uh, we are now members of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and Church has been uh, Chuck has been a deacon and an elder in the in the PCUSA before we came, but now in the EPC. So we are ordaining him into the ministry here uh, as a deacon in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Um, their wives, like likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. You have to have faithful wives. Kathy is a faithful woman. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. There to be a one-woman man, right? How many, how many years have you guys been married? 62 years. Praise God for that. Managing their children and their, their own households well. I think most of you know Chuck's children are faithful. Uh, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus so at this point, I'd like to invite Chuck and the other, uh, the ordained elders and deacons here in this church up to the platform. And once you guys get here, we'll, we'll pray. And... Father, we thank you for Chuck. We thank you for his faithfulness and uh, his service to this church for so long. We thank you for his commitment. We thank you for his leadership skills and abilities and his gifts and the ways that you intend to use him. Lord, I pray for the continual support and guidance of this church upon uh, Chuck as he continues to do the work that you've called him to. Help us to encourage him. Help, help us to partner with him, to be side by side with him. And I pray that you would give him energy and strength to persevere in the work that you have set before him. And give us grace to do it with him. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the members of this church, Chuck, have elected you to be a deacon in our congregation. And Chuck has gone through the process that we have defined in our policy, which says that they have to be elected by the congregation, and then afterwards interviewed by the session to see if they're willing to take up that work, and Chuck was. Afterwards, Chuck went through, I don't know, 12 grueling weeks. I don't know how long it was. We, Chuck's got about 15 or 20 pages of notes. Uh, him and I thoroughly went through uh, what we believe, and uh, we just touched on uh, some of the other 
uh, aspects of his ministry that he's going to be called to, but he's got a lot of work. And um, also, uh, he's done a lot of work. And also, the final piece is that he is to be interviewed by the session, and Chuck has sat and he's been interviewed by the session, and we are pleased to present him to you uh, to be ordained uh, today. So, as part of this process uh, of ordination, Chuck, you are required to answer these constitutional questions. And if you have your bulletin, the constitutional questions that Chuck is going to be answering are there. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an insert in your bulletin today. And I'll start with number one under a con- constitutional questions, and you can just respond, I do. And then there will be one congregational question that you all can respond, I do. Okay? Um, okay, Chuck, are you ready? Do you affirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? Do you believe the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Catechisms of this Church as containing the system of doctrine taught in Holy Scripture? Do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with the system of doctrine as taught in the Scriptures and as contained in the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Catechisms of this Church, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your church session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow? Do you affirm and adopt the essentials of our faith without exception? Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church? Do you promise subjection to your fellow officers in the Lord? Have you been induced, as far as you know, your own heart to accept the office of deacon from love of God and a sincere desire to promote His glory in the gospel of His Son? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? Will you seek to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as deacon, whether personal or relative, private or public, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation of which God will make you an officer? Are you now willing to take responsibility in the life of this congregation as a deacon, and will you seek to discharge your duties relying upon the grace of God in such a way that the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. Amen. Okay, now one uh, question for the congregation. Do you members of this congregation continue to receive this person, Chuck, as deacon? And do you continue your promise to yield to him and all your officers all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which the ordination as an officer entitles him according to the Word of God and the Constitution of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. If you do, say, I do. do. Amen. All right. With that, Chuck, uh, we're going to pray for you. And if you're able, you can kneel. If not, you can can stay standing, or if you want to. Whatever's comfortable for you, brother. So we're going to pray for you. And then we will finish. Father, we thank you for... Uh, Chuck, we thank you for uh, the work that you've called him to once again. Uh, as we have 
gone through this process with him, it has been a delight and a joy just to see his passion and his love and his commitment to you. And Father, I pray that you would continue to spur him on in that, to fan that flame, Lord, to uh, bolster him to the work that you've called him to. There's many things left for this brother, and we thank you for all that you've set before him. Pray that you would give him grace to serve well in this work. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.